0: Yeah. One two, one two, one two, one two, one two.
2: Yo 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 yo. Check 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 check, 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 check. One check.
0: Fucking have your attention, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. Thank you very very much, first of all, for joining us on the first ever live episode of the TBC podcast, brought to you by GRM Daily. You keep... <laughs> yeah, there you go. Gotta... <laughs> create a bit of atmosphere in here. I go by the name of Michael Payne. I'm Rebecca Jobs. I'm Renee. This is our very, very, very special guest, Doc Brown. Make some noise for Doc Brown. If everyone could just make sure their phones are off or on silent. Yeah, I know you're capable of putting them on silent, so I won't sort of belittle you by making you turn them off. (laughs) Might get something important through. Um, I'll just give you an introduction to GRM Daily and this podcast itself. With podcasts becoming increasingly popular among the urban demographic, the time is surely now for urban entertainment powerhouse GRM Daily's TBC podcast to go live. Having already amassed monthly listenership of 10,000, we're doing all right. Um, the conversation series presented by myself, Rebecca and Wren, is, has played host to a variety of guests, ranging from Getz all the way to George Galloway. True G's all the time. <laughs> so GRM, GRM Daily's Million Strong Army have had the exclusive uh, pleasure of experiencing the TBC experience online so surely now time to bring it into the real world which is exactly what we're doing so we're going to hit record and we're going to have a conversation with uh the man of the moment in my eyes i just um i just come off tour with you there you go make some noise for marissa Woo! marissa so i just i just come off tour with you you're a, you're actually a hero of mine so it's a pleasure to be sort of sitting here having a conversation Thank you, with you man you you grew up in um northwest london yes very yes. multicultural society. Very. Even before you put it on the map, Kanye West named his <laughs> first daughter after your ends.
3: And um, but you you grew up, you know you, you grew up a mixed race boy. Yeah, yeah. There's, that's that's the nature of the area I grew up in. In fact, um, when I think back to all the mixed race boys that I knew, and I say boys just because like I'm talking about my close friends from primary school and secondary school, I was the only one out of maybe six or seven boys who wasn't half Irish, half, half Jamaican, Right. you know, or half Trinidadian, half Caribbean. Um, what well, exactly it, is your heritage, sir? So. Well, funnily enough, I did have Irish in my family because my stepdad was Irish. Yeah. But, my, no, my dad's white from Croydon. My mum's black Jamaican from St. Elizabeth, the south coast of Jamaica, um... But I grew up in Kilburn, which mm-hmm. was like a massively Irish area. Um, before that, uh, a, v- a very sort of, I mean, wouldn't say well to do, but kind of a middle class Jewish area. Um, a lot of that crowd left when the Irish guys came in en masse. Right. This is way before Windrush.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, but because of the racism that the, the, the Irish, uh, the, the new Irish uh, uh, inhabitants, Experience, i think you you can deal with that two ways you can take on abuse and hand it out but for one reason or another the irish dudes turned it into something a little bit more welcoming maybe maybe it was financially led who knows but they were the first people to take on board uh black tenants as as landlords when, mm. when they became landlords the irish dudes yeah so that created a sort of Kind of, I mean, in my eyes, it's romanticised, obviously, because of where I'm from, but it was a kind of love affair, you know, yeah. uh, the, 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 the 60s and 70s, mm-hmm. you know, all the way into the 80s.
0: I experienced it myself in, in the 80s a lot growing up. My parents are of Nigerian heritage mm-hmm. and um, all of like my, my nannies all the women that looked after me growing up were Irish. There you go. So I started to notice a trend. I was like, do my parents only have Irish friends?
3: Like, I didn't meet an, a fellow Nigerian until I was about yeah. 10, to be fair. And, you know, when, 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 I mean, this is a huge fast forward, but um, in sort of like 0203, when I first met um, Tony D, who's like a big sort of battle champ now, mm-hmm. uh, um, he was in my first like proper rap crew, Poisonous Poisonous, Poisonous. 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 He He was that classic mixed race dude that I knew he was the only person of colour in an Irish household, a Mm. proper Catholic Irish household. You know, I went to his mum's house and I was like, oh, it's one of them (laughs) where you're like, you're just like the random brown guy. (laughs) You know, that was a story that I'd seen many, many times. So it wasn't strange to me. Mm. There's was immediate kinship there. Absolutely. And um,
0: with, with regards to living in such a multicultural society, did... What were your experiences, you know, did did you have an equal amount of negative and positive experiences being of dual heritage?
3: Yeah, I would say, I would say at first you don't notice it at at all, like when, when you're really, really young. And then as you get a little bit older, you get into that colours thing and I don't even mean in terms of skin I remember being in primary school and people say oh uh, you know at the lunch table anyone who's got like a red cup you know they give you all the plastic cups anyone's got red cups come into my party anyone's got a blue cup can't come that mm-hmm. kind of thing you start to notice like colours mean sort of like teams Yeah. and for me I used to look at my older sister and think we're this colour like mum's not and dad's not so I was like I, the, fir- the first feeling of um Awareness. What's the word? Yeah, that like sort of awareness and feeling a little bit like, I don't know, like insecure about it was when I realised what? how come I don't look like either my mum or my dad. Whereas all my black friends, they look like both their parents. All my yeah. white friends, they look like both their parents. My Bangladeshi friends, and I say Bangladeshi because it was Wilson and Kilburn. It was mainly Bangladeshis, <laughs> I don't know why. Um, and uh, they all look like their parents. So that was the first time I remember thinking, oh, right, I'm like, I'm different. Yeah but then it was into sort of six, seven years old where I remember like actual abuse. Um, And in a way, it's partly the nature of of growing up on a council estate because you're in a huge box wherein there's all types of people who haven't necessarily chosen to be there. They've been placed there Mm. because they receive a housing benefit or they've applied for social housing. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Um, so <laughs> it's not like nowadays where you're like, oh, my, my child's going to that school, so I'm going to buy a house close to that because I know that neighborhood's like... Do you know what I mean? You're just there. Um, which meant we had all sorts of characters, mostly good, but also some nefarious characters. And then we had... <coughs> it was a hotbed for certain movements. Mm. Do you know what I mean? So there was like... Um, you had uh, like these Back to Africa guys on some Marcus Garvey shit, you know, these Fruit of Islam guys. And um Fruit of Islam. Yeah, they were like um how would I describe it? Like the the security for Nation of Islam, they were like the tough right. the tough guys. Goons, so not of, their they personal like the groceries. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then you had like we had NF guys and Combat 18. Combat 18 were like... I remember Combat They were like 18. the proper, proper scum. Like they, 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 weren't right? they were not even a movement. Were they neo-Nazi?
0: Like, yeah, they were yeah, like I neo-Nazi
3: remember. dudes. So, and they had certain things in common with each other. Like, neither of them believed in racial mixing. Do you yeah. know what I'm saying? So... My family was in the middle of that from the start. Uh, yeah, I, I, remember certain sh- I remember people shouting shit at me in the street mm. when I was like five or six years old. Yeah, yeah. Which is a crazy thing to think. Like That would never happen in London now.
5: Was you just going and shot? Yeah, just going and shot. Like, actually, it happened to make? me in
3: Queen's Park. If anyone's ever been to the park in Queen's Park, it's one of the nicest, most polite, yeah, kind of gentle is. places. Mm. And I remember an old man shout, <laughs> shouting, calling me a nigger, a mongrel nigger.
1: Lads in like, hell. We you know really i I'm like, I'm like six years
3: old. Mm. And I remember my mum freaking out, and then yeah, and then uh, having to explain all this shit. And that's, I, that was the first time I thought, I don't want to be this. I don't want to be this. Yeah. You know? When when did you sort of uh, embrace it
0: and and because there was an era when sort of the lighties.
3: <laughs> 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 when did you become we a light? Start taking over. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't think I ever became that. I think I just... I went from wanting to be white to wanting to be black. I right. never wanted to be this. Yeah. Um, and uh, uh, the rap was the thing, you know, uh, f- f- from, from an early age. Because, uh, you know, another episode from those old days of, like, racial abuse, I don't even know if this was the NOI guys or the Combat 18 guys, but we had a human shit posted through our door. Wow. Oh, do you know what I mean?
2: <laughs> like, that's fucked up. Yeah. Well, randomly, they just come and popped it. Through. Yeah. <laughs> they ordered <It's> flat. it. black. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we ordered it. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
3: Um, but yeah, no, like secondary school, you, you know, you're out there a lot more. There's people more in tune with their identities, more confident people. Um, and I wasn't really one of them, but I was fascinated by the confident guys and um my jocks, sister, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. the jocks, so mm-hmm. to speak. And my sister was the one that introduced me to rap. And that, that had so many messages about being sort of, you know, just owning your shit, mm-hmm. being proud of yourself. Um, but I, yeah, I didn't have that same level of confidence. I think it was probably indie music first and foremost that that made me feel secure. But it was so white that I I I I couldn't attach myself to it in in the same way. And um, so when when I first got into rap, it was hundred percent on some back to Africa shit. That was, yeah. that was my shit. Like it had to be like super positive. Super black. Afro you know I mean, I was just trying too hard. I was always trying too hard. That was, that was the thing at that age. Mm. What was your so, first rap CD? That 12, you 13. Um, well, me and my sister, I'm going to show my age here. My, me and my sister, there was a shop on Wilsdon High Road that sold um, vinyl and cassettes and, and, and CDs when they, they, they were was, they was first coming out. Um, but we used to go there, we used to get a pound pocket money every Saturday. And you could you couldn't get a CD, but you could get um, a seven-inch or a k- single. Yeah, this is
4: the. <laughs> k- k- I k- don't single. remember none
3: of this. A k- single was a cassette. This is a fucking bump when I think about it. It had had the same number of songs you get on a single, set. I meant maybe the original, maybe a radio mix or yeah. a video mix, and then mm-hmm. an instrumental. But on a tape, on a I cassette, bet you just
5: wanted the instrumental, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> you wanted so we used the to we used to just
3: buy anything, just whatever was in the charts, we just buy it. Mm. But my sister bought a um, a seven-inch record by Queen Latifah called Mama Gave Birth to the Soul Children.
0: Played and that on my radio show today. Really? Genuinely played
3: that on my radio show. Are you serious? I've never even, I even met anybody who's even heard of this Matic. record. played that very feature, soul on my radio show. It featured And um, uh, that's crazy. That really is mm. crazy. But um, she played it to me. And it was weird because she'd been playing me certain things around that time. Um, this is like... For anyone who doesn't know what year I'm talking about, I'm talking about like 1990 here. So I'm a, I'm a little child, but my sister's sophisticated and she'd been playing me stuff by um, this group called 808 State who used to have like real breakbeat pop and they do remixes of pop tunes. Right. So there was a chick called Suzanne Vega who had a song called Tom's Diner. It mm-hmm. went... Yeah, and A.O.A. stated a remix of it. So it had like a sort of hip-hop beat mm-hmm. to it. And then she also played me like these remixes of um, Happy Mondays, Stone Roses, mm-hmm. and it all had that... Yeah, Like yeah. exciting beats to it. And that just oh, it blew my mind. And when she played me the, the Queen Tifa. I was like, oh, this, is, this is the people that do these beats all the time. That's what they do. It's not a remix. This is, this is what they do. And that was a game changer. And mm. she also played me like NWA and all this other stuff. Snoop Dogg, when, when, when that hit like 92. Beastie Boys, mm-hmm. like so much old school shit.
4: Mm.
3: And I was just like, this is incredible. But again, like I say, mm. I, I didn't feel like I could own it because I felt too nerdy. Right. Whereas like now rappers could come from anywhere now yeah. do you know what I'm saying mm-hmm. I didn't even look at my backstory and think oh, yeah, bruv your backstory is totally legit yeah, yeah. you got the council estate you had the shit through the door <laughs> you're good do you know what I mean in my mind it was like that's for like road guys do you know what I'm saying so you know I always felt like ah you know I got my indie I'm good
5: I want to take it back to your sister so your sister okay. is a novelist yeah. and your brother is a lyricist yes how much writing? That's I also some serious have a, I have another have brother
3: a, and sister as well. I have a half-brother and half-sister, and my half-brother is a musician. My half-sister teaches history Damn. of art. She's, a, she's an artist as well. That's um, the, she teaches so at, at University of Sussex. So there's definitely an argument for a creative gene. I think so, because my parents are not um, outwardly creative or weren't outwardly creative as we were raised. Yeah. My dad um, worked in like direct sales, mm-hmm. you know, really kind of boring, kind of organizing the the, the bump, the like, the junk that comes through your door, yeah. like the text on it, and like organizing the paper and sending what, like, it out.
5: What like pizza stuff?
3: That kind of shit, but like <laughs> I <not> guess but, <laughs> I don't think pizza deliveries were that was big a thing in the eighties. <laughs> it was like it was more like I do know, know, like. I don't know what it was mm. like—junk mail and stuff. Hate and mail. My, yeah, <laughs> hate mail. Then that's the only thing you mom, get through your door if th- you were letters. My mum was, my mum was like uh, just starting out um, as like a sort of nursery nurse, like working with little kids, mm. and then that led into working with older kids, and then eventually she um, she started studying like youth management, and then went into uh, family therapy, which she does now for mm. the, the NHS. But both my parents were school dropouts. My dad dropped out at 12, 13, and my mum dropped out about 16, 17. Mm. Did they ever deter you from your dreams or like musicians? This is or... the thing. And this is the one thing, like, I'm not jealous of, 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 of Justin over there being, uh, being from a Nigerian family. Because if you're from a Jamaican family or a working-class white family, and I'm from both... Like anything you do is a bonus. <laughs>
4: anything you do <laughs> absolutely is a <fucking> right. bonus.
3: <laughs> You're know, from all my West African friends when I was a kid, mm. they were like you know what, I'm not coming football anymore. Why not? It's <laughs> a uh, kibosh, just Do put on it. I got,
0: So many people got sent you know back I mean? home. A lot of times they'd ring you from getting sent back. But like back home yeah. means like
3: back to Africa, basically. Exactly. And, and, um, and I experienced the same thing with a lot of, of, of my Asian friends. You know, a, lot, a lot of my friends who was Pakistani, Indian, Bangladeshi. You know, The best football I ever played with as a kid was Shahab. Mm. And his parents just locked it off. When they were starting, the people would come round, like pa- Paddington Rec, they'd, they'd bring scouts round to my school, you know. And he could go off for trials at Hendon and QPR. Yeah. And Shahab never went. He was the best baller I'd ever yeah, yeah. seen. Certain
0: cultures don't care.
3: Yeah.
0: But, you know, obviously that's a sweeping
3: generalisation. but yeah, Of course you know, is, so this is from... These are generalisations I'm talking about. Is mm. obviously you see other people pop up in the world of comedy, music, film sports obviously yeah. but I'm saying they're a huge minority and I wonder if it's linked to their cultural history absolutely whereas with, with what is my cultural history do you know what I'm saying I'm a mongrel like for me is it's, it's like you're, you're a mongrel nigger <laughs> yeah, yeah anything was a anything was a bonus so when my sister showed an interest in writing it was like pff, go for it when I showed an interest in drama that was my thing at school they were like yeah Hmm. I be in drama I didn't have to there you go it was one of my best grades <laughs> that was it like, no, for real it was the only A I got drama see yeah um,
5: um, one time I done a monologue and I actually cried when I left I felt like an
3: absolute what you
5: forced the yeah years. no like one drop down and my teacher was like I never thought that's you had it in sick. you and I walked out like yeah yeah
3: that's, <laughs> that's me boy I'd have yeah. to slice an oh. onion on the low like for real yeah. <laughs> so yeah you know we were just encouraged in those little ways but it's it's interesting thing about my half brother and half-sister because they had a completely different family set up. I, I don't know why they ended up artists mm. as well. Mm. Um, all I can think is, looking back, a lot of shit happened in my house. Mm. My if house was not like a, uh, like a boring house. There was always something happening every day. Mm. And when I talk to my sister about it, she always t- says to me, like, what else would we have become other than storytellers? Mm. Was think there big,
5: like, like proper, like doof-doof?
3: There was all sorts. There was all sorts. There was like, you know, there was inter-family beef. There, there, my, my parents getting married was controversial on both sides, the white side and the black side. It wasn't uh, fully accepted. I was talking
5: beef Like had the controller beef, but this is deep
3: beef. Yeah, there was 30 years between my mum and dad as well, so that, was, that caused a lot of issues. Mm. Like, my sister, my other sister, not Zadie, my other sister is my mum's age. So that was kind of wow. deep. Wow. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of tension there and you know there was there was always something going on mm. always and the mix of characters mm. in the house friends and family was always interesting there was always stories there uh, it was just was it was unconventional is what i would say so i like when i read my sister's stuff i like sometimes i recognize stuff other times it's pure her imagination mm. but it never surprised what surprises me is the that the skill that she writes with, the stories themselves don't surprise me because I just think, of course, because yes. she was very, very perceptive more yeah. than, more so than me.
5: Speaking of writing and stuff, I want to take this to music now. So when did you actually like first start taking music seriously? Like, can you ever remember the first freestyle you actually wrote? You well, kind of in, wrote the days, we, <laughs> in the old
3: days, in the old days, we, we, <laughs> didn't, we <just> didn't write <laughs> freestyles, we actually freestyled. <laughs> <laughs> She said, "Let me take that back." But I saw that whatever. It's too late. Yeah. Um, <laughs> oh god. I think I think it was probably I, I saw stuff at my school. I saw there was kids who brought um, cardboard or lino and they break on it. And there was other kids who would spray paint stuff or would tell me about kids who did it. So like my first girlfriend at school, her friend Joe was a an a. a a teenage graph writer and I seen his stuff around mm. Kilburn and um, he knew other guys that were huge back in the day they're, they're legends now people like Elk like if you're from Northwest London you ain't seen Elk then you haven't really travelled around North he was all city in the 80s do you know what I mean mm. and people like that there was little elements of hip hop that hit me and I thought that's like there's something exciting about it and then the first time I saw uh, Battling which was just at one of my mum's uh, youth clubs that she used to run in South Kilburn. That's, that's when it was just like, Ooh, this mm. is another planet was, now. It, it was, was this rap balance specifically? Yeah, yeah. Re, re, just uh, people snapping on each other for, mm. just for bragging rights, you know? And me and my, my younger brother, we were just like, this is amazing. This is amazing.
5: <laughs> like, what's the deepest you've ever gone in, someone, like when you're battle rapping?
3: Do you, do you cuss mums? Uh, like, back in the day, like, you weren't allowed to battle if it wasn't freestyle. Like, it wasn't improvised. Mm. So, it's hard to say. Like, you just, you draw for anything. It would depend, like, if the other guy went below the belt, then you'd go mm. below the belt as well. Look at your
0: trainers.
3: You know? Whereas now, I actually think it's it's better now because the standard is consistently entertaining and high. Whereas back then, it was like, oh, you sometimes yeah. you just... If, if, both rap battlers would choke at some point
5: because
3: mm. it was just it was freestyle um,
5: but did the crowd like make it known like I can imagine a battle rap like in the back oh my god he choked yeah, like, there I can was, imagine there, the
3: there was that and there was also what was even more intense was when the crowd suspected <laughs> that you'd written a line mm. yeah they go nah, nah, and they drown you out and you couldn't even get mm. your, your bars off you know um, but this this again, that's a slight fast forward because me and my brother were just seeing it on the street at first or in youth clubs and stuff. Cause we weren't old enough to mm. go. Like my my brother was like six years younger than me. Do you know what I mean? So he um, he was the actual little child. Do you know what I'm mm. saying? I was I was like sixteen. He was he was like nine, ten. Um Did but, you have
5: to be home by a certain time?
3: Yeah, that was the other thing. we used to just stay out, in them days you'd just stay out until the sun goes down and then your mum would start getting a bit antsy, mm. but my mum was quite chilled about that stuff. Were so you like, one of the ones that could stay out like the latest out of most? Yeah, because I was a, I was quite a boring kid. Even though I was fascinated by these things, I wasn't Thinking like a troublemaker. Right, I wasn't yeah. that guy. I always always stayed clear of it. I didn't I didn't get in trouble until like my early thirties. <laughs> to be fair, growing, <laughs> growing up, <laughs> that's,
0: that's
3: <30s>. another story. <laughs>
0: Growing up, it it was always the mixed race kids that were allowed out in the latest. Oh, you reckon? Yeah, yeah man. I, I found think you it. actually
5: have a fanny suit. That's I the second he time he's mentioned. Yeah. I used to you try. Want to try be I used light. to try. No.
0: I, <laughs> 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 he wants to be <laughs> <laughs> I'm very genuinely proud of my complexion, but I but I was I was jealous of of, uh, of kids when they when, when they're allowed to stay out later, and I it, used to try. So try to say, I used to try and persuade them to go in earlier. So my house,
3: my house, when I was a kid, you could smoke weed in there. You could bring girls in there. True.
5: That's lit. Are you mad? Right. <laughs> yeah.
3: now, check, this, check this out as, as, as an approach to parenting I don't think I mean I've got two children now I don't know if I would do it the same way but I look back at my mum and I think she's such a jeep the way she approached it yeah because she wasn't lax she, my mum was super strict mm. and that sounds that's going to sound nuts to everyone listening to this how could she be super strict and let you bring girls back and let you smoke weed and house? you've got to understand she looked at it like this I've got two young boys right I can't control what goes on in the street at all. I can't control what what uh, outside influences there are on these boys. But if I give them some of the things that entertain them right here under one roof, and they, they can bring their friends here, then I have some semblance of control. Mm-hmm. So if we weren't allowed to smoke weed in, in, in our mom's house, I, I can picture right now in my head, crystal clear where we would have gone. Yeah. We would have gone, there was, one, there was one park at the end of my street where you would always get in a fight. Always. Because there was always four, five, six different groups of boys mm. who Smoking would weed, show up. Yeah. yeah, And none of us knew each other. It's
0: so annoying as well. That, right? That attached to weed as well. It's meant to chill everyone yeah, out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, everyone should just go there. Hit this,
3: man. Hit this. It's <laughs> a, a truce. Yeah, I mean, that should be the place of the truce, yeah. you know? There's a graveyard, graveyard in Fortune Green in West Hampstead, which is just... Grim, do you yeah. know what I mean? There's like weirdos. There's weirdos in there. Do you it's know what a mean? graveyard as yeah. well. Or there's just like bopping on road. Yeah, where you're going to come in to contact with all sorts. Police probably. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? And then those days, I mean, I I've, I can't remember the last. Actually, no, I can't remember the last time I got stopped by police. But it wasn't like a racial thing or related to my youth. It was me being a dickhead. But like, <laughs> so I remember in those days you know, as a teenager, we got stopped. All the time. Mm. So for my mum, even though other mums thought she was crazy, my mum used to always she'd get these calls. Where's so and so? Where's so and so? And she goes, I know, I know where all your kids are. They're all here. Mm. And they'd have a go at her for letting them do what they do in my house. And she said, I know they're safe. Yeah. So I, I look back on it. And I think it was actually a unique way to parent. I don't know if it's perfect. Wait, what, 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 what you is perfect? I don't know how many people here in this room tonight or how many people listening have got children, but I can tell you firsthand, it's fucking hard to be perf- a perfect parent. Mm. You make mistakes all the time. And, uh, you know, to this day as a grown man, like I, I respect my mum for all the decisions that she made. So I think she did the best that she could do with the tools that she had. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? And she, I think she played it smart. So does she have? Does she
0: still have these like weed smoking sessions? <laughs> <laughs> no, she stopped. Well, because she, she like
3: smoked a... weed as well, so it was like it's got even. It was, really? <laughs> it, was, it, was <laughs> it, it, it was a minor in? thing. Like
2: was making a stash in that? Yeah, like... yeah.
3: I did. I I didn't start buying weed until I was like 15, 16, Because I'd always just take yeah
2: from hers <laughs> or her boyfriends, <laughs> her boyf- like
3: different boyfriends that she might have. My parents broke up like when I was much younger, but like different boyfriends that she might have. Like I would just take, take their weed. Mm-hmm. There's always weed in my house. When I was really little, my dad my dad was a weed smoker as well, and he had like the um the window box. It used to grow grow weed. Fair play. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? Um, but yeah, she quit. I can't remember how old I was, maybe 19, 20, she she knocked it on the head. Mm. But she still raves, like she's always been a raver. Yeah. She was going, she was going to Rodigan for under the fucking Westway, like <laughs> in, in the early eighties. Yeah, you yeah. know what I'm saying? And she still goes now.
0: That's something that's so ingrained in West Indian culture, though, isn't it? The yeah, it's probably a little ranges.
3: bit different, but at the same time, she was from a, a strict Jehovah's Witness background. Mm. So it's only really her and one of my uncles and one of my aunts who who blazed. The rest of my Jamaican family that was like if anything is heavily mm. frowned upon. No, no, I meant, because, I meant the raving. Because it's, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The oh, yeah, no, like, that big time. The yeah. shabins and all of that. Like, it, well, that wasn't seen as, like, a left-field thing. It was, mm. like,
2: a cultural if, you, if you don't thing party, is... like, what are you doing? Yeah, like,
3: yeah. Yeah. Jamaican culture is, is amazing, man. Like, I, I always used to moan about going there and sweating as much as I Because I, I come from a long line of sweaters. We sweat oh, a lot. so We could talk about sweat until house When it gets actually hot, like... I literally, like, my my entire outfit is soaking. Wet. Hat, I've been to though. one of your birthday parties. That do not work. No one can tell. Yeah, it doesn't that work. Don't work. No, I, I sweat, like, it's embarrassing levels of sweat. Mm. And I remember it was maybe the last time I went to Jamaica or the time before that, someone said to me, bruv, just slow down. Just chill <laughs> out, bro. And I was like, what? Because, bruv, you're always walking so fast. Like, <laughs> you walk, you walk fast. and I was like, you know, I didn't even clock that. Like, I actually walk fast. Mm. Do you know what I'm saying? And, um, Yes, it's one of those magical elements of Jamaican culture. It's like, the sun is hot, slow your shit down. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's basic. Do the basic things for your happiness, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, you, that's been bastardized into so many different ways to, to create things that are quite selfish. But the, the essence of it, the essence of Jamaican culture, I think is, is unique and, and,
2: and beautiful, mm-hmm. you know, and very inclusive. When did your mom find out you were smoking weed? And how did the conversation go? Like, how did you drop it to her? That's a very good
3: question because I, I really don't know. It was, so, it was so organic the way it happened. Because first I was pulling things like half-finished zoots out of the ashtray <laughs> and trying it. Because my friends all smoked weed and I was a late comer. Because like, it was in my house. It was boring to me. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't, it's like, oh, it's was so exciting. you got to do this, you got to do What that. was you was doing there. though? If
5: you were like not smoking, was you drinking? or just I was chilling? a nerd.
3: I was match of the day. My mum actually <laughs> no, said man. to me one time, like are you ever going to go out? Because my sister was wild. Zadie, it was a wild teenager. I was like mad boring, like 14. I'd just be like, I'd play football until the sun went down. And then i just watch matches. of the Day, I was the same though growing good. up. Like, do you remember
5: Tamagotchi's? Yeah. I used to look after that like it was my actual child. One time it died and I was like, that proper scarred me. Or like Scooby-Doo's and stuff. So yeah, it's yeah. fine, you can be the nerd. It's yeah, fun. and
3: I was I a was proper, proper geeky kid. But then obviously when my friends saw what was going on in my mm. house, they were like, bruv, you got it all here mm. and your mum's like cool mm. about it. So I, I can't remember, it wasn't like a big moment mm. because like, I, I sh- you know, they asked me to send some kiddie photos and I sent some, but I should have sent some that my mum's got from when she, she took me and two of my mates, Joe and Mike, to Amsterdam for wow. their 16. <laughs> Six I mean, days to, she be actually, she to be adopted by your mum we just got blazed if you go on my Instagram actually I think that I posted some of them photos from, from, from back then so you can see like it's not bullshit like it, she, she was just very much like I want to know what's going on in my kids yeah. life and she wasn't like forcing it like oh I'm going to pretend to smoke me. she was like down. she was down
0: she was like a having a big sister since I was two. <laughs> but
3: anyway. she was mad young when she had me so she was more she was always more like a big sister And how ways. is it now
5: like would you go out raving
3: together? Definitely, we've done we've done that already.
5: What like you're carrying her home? Like, get in the
3: Uber, mum. Yeah, we've done we've done all of it. That. Yeah, that's she's, like, that's she's, quite lit though. Like, my mum's kind of the same. She's like me. She's a terrible drunk, man. She has to get carried home. <laughs> but like, my mum, my mom, literally, like, she's what? She's like 65 now, so so gen- genuine pensioner age now. But you just you wouldn't guess it. I mean, first off, mm. obviously, black skin it, it, it ages well, so she looks mad young, but. Her is deep. Like there was a moment I did on the tour that the the that, that, that Justin was on with me, like we did um we did EXO in London. And uh it was a great night, it was emotional. And it was about I don't know, I was getting close to the end. There's two or three songs from the end. And I just looked to the right and my mum's was just like there, like at the front of the mosh pit, just to my right. And she'd managed to like Get up on a little step So she was oh. higher Than everyone else She was just there I didn't even clock her Until that moment That's You know what so I
0: mean That's so cute Has she been to a lot Of your gigs My parents have never been to Yeah I don't even think My parents know what I do
3: Yeah <laughs> like, she, I she used to never... always come To like the old The old rap gigs <laughs> And then she came to A couple of stand up gigs But um The first one she came to When I was starting out I did it I did one in Kilburn In um uh, the Good Ship and I died on my ass and she was like uh, so what are you going to do now? <laughs> I was like what do you mean? She was like well obviously you're going to have to think of something else to do like with your life. Really? And I was like no no Like, this. Happens. sometimes you die and sometimes mm. you get laughs. She was mm. like uh. she didn't believe me at all. You know." So she came to a lot less stand up gigs but then when I started making a career I was just like oh okay mm. but she still thinks I'm like one shit gig away from <laughs> like leaving, leaving, moving,
0: moving home. Yeah, in
3: her head, I'm still a better rapper than I am. I feel like media. you
5: should just show her like social media and be like, look how many
0: people believe in she me. She don't give
3: a shit about that. She's Facebook all day long. She don't fuck really? with Twitter oh, yeah. or Instagram. The older
0: generation love a bit, and I don't fuck
3: with
2: Facebook. I don't do Facebook. Shame. So yeah, it's a
0: bit dry.
2: So want to talk about music again. Um, your deal, your deal, your deal. Can't even say the fucking deal. It. Real. That's the. One. It's a bit of a tongue twister, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> it is a little bit. Yeah. it is. Deal real. Um, what does what made you decide to host them events and put them on and how did that you wasn't do it? really a decision I mean
3: like shout out Vincent who's here tonight is one of the original that, that um, I mean there's a lot of argument about the original deal real because there was another shop called deal real mm. I wasn't involved in but um, the uh, the second incarnation of it Vincent was one of the founding members of that shop and okay. when they invited me down to to see the place. I, 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 there was a conversation had. I don't know who I was in that conversation. Maybe Vince was in there. I can't remember. But um, it was just such a cool little space. It could fit maybe 40 people in there. We'd have turntables up the front so, you know, customers could come in and listen mm-hmm. to records. And also we could just have a little vibe, get a DJ in there and just play in. It was just an obvious place to just, you know, have a little a little mini jam. Yeah, It was ridiculous. And And, and looking back with with Vince and the other boys that ran it and me just being a friend, like, I was the one with the mouth. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So I I don't think it was ever I mean Vince, you can back me up. I don't think there was like a sit-down meeting where we were like, and you should be the host and this is what we're gonna do. It was will was the most special thing that's ever happened to me as an artist.
0: Same.
3: And when 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 you consider that, you know, last October I was I was hosting the BAFTAs in LA and fucking with you know Jennifer Lawrence and Tom Hanks, say and, and again, everyone say like, "Oh, that's the pinnacle." Nah, man, I already had the pinnacle. It was making art for art's sake. I didn't even think about mm. what I was doing. I didn't think about what it meant. I didn't think about what I was creating. It it was, it was just the essence of hip hop—just people getting together and hanging out, mm. and 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 everything that came out of there was it was magical. Mm. So there was no meeting. There was no decision. It was just like, I'm the one with the mouth. So I'll just go, everyone sharp. We got this guy here, he's gonna do some raps. I was that guy. At the time I was was a full-time youth worker, do you know what I'm saying? So it was in my DNA to go sharp, listen. Do you know what I mean? I was doing I was doing that nine to five. We've got courtesy of Vincent. Thank you very much for listening,
0: Real. Uh, we've got some um, footage of you, Andy. Oh, man. The, the, uh, the sound might be a bit shit in Layman's terms, <laughs> but here it is. Rhymefest in the cut as well, man. Who remembers Rhymefest? This
3: is Mark Runston's MC. He used to write for... Bunn. Yeah, Mark awesome. Ronson for a bit. He was on good music, wasn't he?
0: Yeah, for a bit.
5: You look very different. Did you just take off glasses one day and was like, I don't need them no more.
0: No, I wear contacts. All right, I'll stop it there because, like I said, the, um, the whatchamacallit is... The sound oh, is shit. awful. <laughs> the there's is a story so about...
3: Good. I don't know if it was that night, but, like, I used to freestyle. That's all I did.
0: You were like, if I can know. I kind of add my own little testimony, if you like, man, like... It was you personally that made me. The first time I, I, I genuinely distinctly remember the first time I ever went to Deal Real, I was at university at the time, and I used to just just fucked off uni sometimes, and, right. to, uh, and came I was down exactly to, to Deal yeah. Real. And I remember you um, you getting everyone up, and I, I'm not gonna lie, the first time I went, I don't think I did the open mic, but I just kind of watched mm. and that. And um, I remember you getting everyone to sign up for the open mic, and then they would come and, and spit rittons and then you would freestyle about everything they had said. Yeah, just everything that happened. That's what, That was my thing, mate. It was, it was, and that was for me, like, you, Loki, the, the thought that Skinny Man was always, like, UK rap royalty mm. were there so frequently that it, it just became, I became almost desensitised to it and really started <laughs> to see people as like, yes, my idols and my heroes, but also my peers as well. Yeah, because obviously 100%, I plucked up the courage 100%. to actually do the open mic. In like sort of subsequent visits, uh, it's,
3: it's crazy that you say that, and I know we've spoken about this uh, on a personal level. But I, I'm always amazed whenever you bring it up because I don't. I, I, obviously a lot of rappers came mm. through that, so I don't. I don't have the the, the total recall that you had. But um, what I do remember was the first time seeing you. It reminded me of the first time I saw um, the rapper Young Gun because um, you were the first dude that I was like this guy knows how to hold a fucking microphone to hear every word. So it's, it's deep to me that you took something from, from I what I like was doing. I feel like we're having
5: a very special moment right now and I hope somebody's got it on camera. You're seeing, say, You're seeing a bromance on film
3: in front of your eyes. It's just eyes. like rap, rappers, rappers, uh, in the easiest possible word. rappers are shit. This is the problem, right? <laughs> and rappers don't know how shit they are. Mm. They all think they're amazing, mm. right? And some of them are actually quite, Good if you give them a booth and an engineer and, and you can tweak how they flow and all of that shit, mm. they're actually quite good. But then you see them live and they can't recreate the, the record that they made, even though the record is quite good.
4: Mm.
3: And because rappers, by their very nature, are egotistical, and I'm not counting myself out of this. Of course i got an ego. But because they're egotistical and they don't know how to deal with it... it uh, a lot of the time, I don't want to say 90% of the time, but a lot of the time, they don't fix the things that are wrong with them. Mm. Right? Whereas for me, as a rapper, I always put myself out there and I battled people and I... I, 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 I There's no quicker way of getting constructive criticism than battling. Right? Mm. When someone just goes, bruv, you're shit and this is why. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> um... So I wanted to fix all of the things that weren't 100% dope about mm. what I did. And one of the main things was just holding the mic right and having every word be heard so that people would react in the right way, not just because they knew the record, just because you were fucking dope.
4: Mm.
3: And when, when, I, when, I saw, when I saw Michael Payne for the first time, I was like, this dude gets it. He's you like, know? yeah, yeah, that's Every, every, every word, <laughs> crystal clear and it's not that hard. Mm. It's actually not that hard. It's just rappers are lazy and they don't want to work at mm. their art. I think I think it's a lot of the time
0: down to the, the, the ego makes you want to look cool no matter what you're doing yeah, and I think so, rappers yeah. think it's cool to really really yeah, hold, a mic, real hold cruel, a mic like that real, yeah. that sounds fucking shit absolutely that sounds awful I'd rather look like a cruise ship singer
3: when I'm rapping <laughs> and you hear what the fuck I'm saying <laughs> Bro, than I, 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 I said it to a sound man when we were on tour I, I, I would rather look like i was holding a penis <laughs> and be fucking heard <laughs> You'll forget then about the penis the bit later, yeah. <laughs> hey, the You'll forget the penis. You'll be like, "Bro, I heard every word of that shit.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, speaking of rap and quality, man, what's mm. your take on ghostwriting? Would you ever? Because I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure it's safe to say you would never ever have a ghost
3: lyric written, ghost written lyric. I would, I would never have one for myself. Would you write for someone? Because I don't need it. I have, ever, written, I have never. written for people. I've oh. written for people in music, and I've written for people in comedy. Amazing. And uh, contractually, I, you know, I'm, I can't say who. They're, they're not comfortable with, with me saying who that is, but. Um, you know, back when when I was in Poisonous, I was I was writing for um, for singers. Mm. Um, that publishing and, P from early. Mate, uh and uh, in, in comedy, I mean, in America, I think they're much more open. Yeah, to the idea of this is a very funny person, but what if you got ten hilarious people to yeah. contribute to that funny person doing their thing? Mm. And a lot of writers can't perform comedy of in the same way that. There's a lot of dope ghostwriters in music, but Something the, about their, their voice isn't all that or their presentation isn't all that. You know, you look at someone like... Uh, um, uh, who's who's that chick that wrote Toxic? Is it, is it Claire Dennis? A tune, though. No? Mate, that's a it's tune. Really she true. she wrote all sorts of hits that you don't even know. And and in the nineties, I remember her. She like she had a little career of her own, but it didn't quite Kathy jump Dennis. off. Kathy Dennis. Kathy Dennis. Kathy Dennis. She's from she, Norwich. She also wrote. She's Kathy, from Norwich. You believe it? And she <laughs> also wrote. I just can't get you out of my. No tree. way. That's a tune. So, she wrote bangers. Yeah. Just straight bangers. Dennis. Yeah. But she also she was mature enough to know. You know what? I don't really wanna be the one in like if you watch the I Can't Get You Out of My Head video, Kylie's wearing half a sheet. Mm-hmm. Do you know what yeah. I'm saying? And Kathy Dennis is like, ah, I'm good. Do you know what <laughs> I mean? I always feel like though, and I love that. I'd feel some type of way
5: like. Sitting at home and somebody's getting the recognition for something that I've wrote. Did that ever happen? Yeah, but then
3: to you? you'd be sitting on bare money and you wouldn't I think give a shit. I think, what That's gets, true. I think what gets me way more. I I I love being able to write for someone in their character. If I was writing it and it was like, these are my bars for me, and I'm giving to them to this person, and they're fucking performing them wrong. Anytime I've written for someone, I've thought, I understand the brand, and I'm writing as that brand. I'm not writing... I wouldn't spit any of these bars. Mm. So I, I, find it, I find that quite easy. Same yeah. in comedy. What gets me way more is when I see somebody and I think, that's only come from one place. And mm. you know, you know because I'm not like some fucking megastar that you can get away <laughs> with very subtly stealing my shit. That, that, that annoys me way more.
4: Mm.
3: And
0: do you... Um, when it comes to sort of ghostwriting, because, you know, you know, you mentioned it before, we just came off your tour. And um, I remember sitting in the van with you and we were... Because there's for, for me, I, I feel a different kind of um, respect when I see a singer who is already talented by virtue of the fact that they're mm-hmm. a singer singing some lyrics that someone else wrote. Yeah, it feels fine. But in my when my rapper brain kicks in... I I can't kind of condone an MC doing it, but then we've sat in the van and rapped along
3: to steal the ERE. Of course. But there's something about rap that is so personal. Rap, 90% 90 of the time, rap is in the first person. Yeah. You know? We get confused. Like, sometimes people say to me, oh, why does everyone think Kendrick's so dope? Like, what's he even talking about? You know, a lot of the time, Kendrick is telling stories Mm. from other people. He's not Mm -hmm. always telling stories directly from himself. Do you know what I'm saying? And it, he's just a smart storyteller in that way. And a lot of the greatest rappers are like that. Yeah. Andre 3000's had, mm. had verses that they're not even him saying, even though he's saying, I, I, mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. they're not even about him. Yeah. they about someone else. Yeah, yeah. But we, For some reason in the wider world, we don't have that luxury. So when we say, and I picked up the gun and I shot him, yeah. someone's going to go, oh, fuck You're Michael Payne. He's now, like yeah. one of these gangster guys. Mm. But when Freddie Mercury mm. says, you know. I killed a man. I put a gun against his head, pulled the trigger, now he's dead. Everyone's like, yeah, obviously it's not Freddy. Yeah. Obviously it's not Freddy. You know, it's, just, <laughs> Could never it's be. Met- <laughs> metaphor at work. He's a fantastic meta- metaphorical writer. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> We've got to deal with that yeah. on top of the ignorance within our own mm. art form. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So, uh, and, and then on top of that, rap is personal. And when we want to be able to say, well, this one is me. This one's about me. Mm-hmm. This one's not. This is about my brethren that you lot will never, ever meet. Yeah, but I'm you telling his story. But I'm telling it. his story. We want to be, we feel smart enough to do that. But yeah. other people maybe can deal with Pick it, maybe can't. It. Yeah. But um, to get back to the original point, because it, it appears so personal, rap, because it appears so first person, it's very, very difficult for us and outsiders to deal with the concept of somebody else writing yeah. The, that content. I
0: feel personally like it's rap is the only talent involved in rapping. With singing, you've got the lyrics and you've got the song. Mm. You know, they say there's that popular sort of trope in, in the industry that person could sing a phone book. I'm sure yeah, something Because their voice is, is just exactly. so remarkable. But unless you have a remarkable voice as a rapper, which is, is so much less likely. I feel your voice lends itself more to the lyrics and the flow rather than you can't just rest on that alone. So I feel like... I agree with that to lyrics a point. Are the first, for me, lyrics are the
3: first oh, sort of... Um, that,
0: that, that, that's the first necessity.
4: Yeah,
3: as, I, mean, I agree with that to a point. And I do agree with the, the fact that within rap, lyrics are the first thing, even beyond like an amazing beat. The lyrics, I guess from a personal perspective, the lyrics are, are the thing. But I would disagree in that there are some rappers with dope voices that I can listen to, even though their lyrics are a little bit shit. And, and there are other rappers who are probably quite good. Yeah, you're right. But their voices are like fucking nails going down a blackboard. And I'm like, yeah. bro, unless you change your whole voice, yeah, yeah. put it through some machine, I just, I'm I sorry, you, but I just can't listen to you it. You should be a ghostwriter.
2: Yeah, you were born to be a ghostwriter. At what know? point did you deter from the music to the comedy now? what, what. Fu- decision how did that decision come like
3: it was it was 2007 it was coming to the end of that year and uh, my daughter my first daughter was born in uh, New Year's Eve 2005 oh wow and uh, I was still you know known for for doing deal real I was doing youth work part time I was not making a lot of money at all. In fact, I was struggling. And uh, it got to 2007 and still no rap shit had popped off at all for me. In my heart, I felt there was nobody fucking with me, lyrically at all. Mm. And I was growing to realise how little that mattered. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Because someone could just come along with a hype and a good beat and then Take it they away. were... Yeah. And I was becoming more and more like, that's that old guy who does the... Mm. Do you know what I mean? It yeah, was like me. raps like that. Do you know yeah. what I'm saying? You've got, it's got to be like, who's the new guy? Who's the new yeah. guy? And it's like with my new album, I could have easily done it under a pseudonym and not had my face or anything mm. like that involved. People were going, oh, this is quite interesting. But I just thought, fuck it, man. Like yeah. This is me. Like, yeah. I'm not the thing hide is with it. you,
5: you kind of you mix them. Because um, when I told my mum he was coming on the podcast, first thing she said was CSI.
3: Mums love me, man. The second Come thing on.
5: she said was, hey, Don, that tea rap And then I actually deeped it, yeah. I actually put milk in my
3: tea first. Uh, I don't have an issue with that. <laughs> He's only being polite. You know? No, I, I genuinely... I don't. I don't even coffee. drink that much tea. Like, I have a cup of tea in the morning to wake me up. But what caffeine. do you put in
5: first then? I don't really
3: give a shit. As long as it's strong... <laughs> as long as it's strong and it's not like you just dunked the tea bag in and mm. then chucked it. I really don't have an opinion. But I'm smart enough to know that people are passionate about that shit. Yeah. And I had the idea... When I was doing a voiceover and this woman um, brought me tea and um, she was like, I hope it's okay. And I was like, I'm sure it's fine. And she goes, well, you know, I I think this is the one country where people can have a civil war over how they have their tea. And I thought, that's quite funny. And then I went to the studio, my studio after the um, voiceover and my producer made the (laughs) wackiest cup of tea I ever drank. (laughs) And I was like, bro this is like pissed. you know what <laughs> I mean watery, and man. I was like I was just with a woman who said you can have a civil war over this shit and he was laughing and I wrote those bars in about nine or ten minutes
5: that's crazy and it's the thing
3: I'm most known for mm. it's the stupidest shit I ever written <laughs> it's, it's the thing I care about the least people can connect with it though it's the thing I care about the least everybody connects with mm. it there's nothing I've done that has gone viral like that mm. there's nothing that I've achieved that, as hard as I work to try and make the music. To God. try and make my lyrics on a level with my sister's books. To try, and, to try and create phrases and words that might appear like etched in stone one day. Whether or not I put the fucking milk in first to a cup of tea. To this day. <laughs> it's, it's like it's like I sign my own epitaph for that mm-hmm. song, and it's weird, you know. Like I, like I say, it's it's some dumb shit, but I still respect mm. it because I, I, I understand how the game goes, you know. And if it gets people talking about me as a as an artist in any way, shape, or form, then I've mm. I've got to be proud of that. Yeah,
5: you said that mums love you. Mums love me. It's at times like you're in Sainsbury's. Another thing, yeah.
3: I, I, I can't was from, do like, anything I, anymore. When you leave the I house, can't do anything.
5: Do you get yourself in a mindset like, what guy am I today? Like, Am I, I a comedy anything. guy?
3: I can't do anything. And I'm not even boasting like, "Oh, I'm such a celebrity. Mm. It's, it's more that I am very popular with a small but crucial amount of everybody. Mm. Do you know what I'm saying? So like you say, like a crucial amount of mums, a crucial amount of children, mm. a crucial a amount, a amount of teenagers, amount of a crucial amount of like urban and a crucial amount of like the mainstream. Mm. But it's not everybody from all of yeah. those. So I have lucky days where nobody clocks me. But I would say 300 out of 365 days, I get hassled by people.
5: I feel like it must be harder when you're like, can you go to the shop? And they're like, no, can you go to the shop? Do you just feel like, look what I have to put up with? My biggest thing is the
3: pool. My biggest thing is the pool. This is what I argue with my wife about the most. Because she's sick of taking the kids to the pool. And like, I can't go to the pool. I thought How you meant
5: on the pool,
4: like I'm no. no, no, no the swimming pool. Open <laughs> relationship. So yeah, that, would be, that would be a proximity argument. Here.
3: Here. I tried that argument a few years ago, that didn't work out. <laughs> um, um no, the swimming pool for some reason is the one I just can't do. I just can't do it. Like it's, it's on so, so many there levels. Well, on so, it's so many wet levels. in general. It's wet, you're practically mm. naked, right? <laughs> and then You've oh, you're swimming as well? De- That's what I'm saying. If oh. I Like, if I've, got, I've got an 11-year-old and an 8-year-old. So if I go to, like, say, Britannia or somewhere like that, you, they got, they got the... the like You've got to be a certain age to go in on your J's. I
5: thought you meant, like, you're just chilling in the wings.
3: Oh, that would be blessed. If that if it, I'd just deal with a couple of mums, done, it's a couple annoying, like,
5: Doing the butterfly, like, <laughs> hey.
3: I've got to go in because of the age of my children. i got to go in. Mm. So, That's deep. That means i got to go in, buy the ticket, and then the guy's like, oh, would you want to go a photo? Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile,
0: we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint
1: Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month.
3: In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today.
0: Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.
3: Buy a fucking ticket. (laughs) There I go in. I've got to get naked, come out in just... Basically, pants, right? And then deal with the same thing again, yeah. but with mums, teenagers, you have to take pictures, and children. Though. And you're half naked. In the well, pool. you say that. You say that. At this particular pool, they have uh, there's not cubicles for showers. so just one shower for everybody: men, women, and children.
0: Wait,
3: what? <laughs> you ain't been to Britannia. It's just one shower. Shower. I've never got in the shower, is there? I haven't been in the shower since I was
0: in primary school, to be fair. I, I live very close to bro, Britannia. You are the reason
3: that people are getting fucking diseases and shit in the pool. you got a shower before and after you get in the pool. Who raised you? I just got fully clothed, bro. I don't even pay to get in. Who raised you? <laughs> so you go in the communal shower. Uh, you know, I got the shampoo and the conditioner. My girls, their hair is insane, you know. And I'm trying to deal with this and get the chlorine off their bodies. And this chick comes up, she's like, Can we get a photo? And she's with her son. She's, I mean, she's in her 30s. She's got her son there, her son's like eight. He's freaking out. She's freaking out. You know, he's thinking CBBC, she's thinking Law and Order. Who gives a fuck? I'm in the shower. I'm in the shower trying to scrub chlorine off my kids. How is this a good time? Do you hear me? Yeah. And then in the pool itself, you're mad isolated. Like, if I get recognised on a bus, I get off the bus. If I get recognised in a shop, I walk out of the The shop. If I get recognised on the the street, I up my pace. Do you know what I'm saying? You're in a pool, right? I'm not a great swimmer. Like, where am I going? Where am I going to go? Where the fuck am I going to go? And kids freak out. They freak out when they see me. And then women, they freak out. And I don't even mean in a sexual way, but it becomes sexual because... They, they spot me and it's like oh it's that dude and then essentially you're in your underwear I'm in my underwear it's weird it's weird and we're both weird. it's weird
5: do you know what this brings me to yeah you know when you go out pubs and stuff mm. and you go toilet mm. and there's like four other guys there mm. Do you actually stand there because they're gonna try and conversate with you, or do you go in the toilet? I've had away?
3: I've had dudes reach over with both hands on their dick, reach over with one hand and try and shake my hand.
5: <laughs> like, bro,
3: <laughs> I've had that. Shit. What do
5: you, What do you say though? Like, I just,
3: you know, I, I'm always good humoured with people because I don't want to be that guy. Because so you shaped his There are hand. five words. No, 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 no. I'll break it down, but in a funny way. You know, there are five <laughs> words in show business that can end you, with your fans. And it's, <clears throat> it's I heard he's a prick. <laughs> five words. And this is how these five words mm. occur, okay? I was on uh, Green Lanes, right? Um, and I was coming out of Tesco, and I got a phone call that someone very dear to me had taken an overdose, right? And I had to get to Homerton Hospital ASAP. Right I didn't have my car. I called it Uber. The Uber comes, right? I'm stressed out. i I run round to the door, and there's two women on the side of the street, and they go, "Ah, oh, Doc Brown, Can we get a photo? Uh, I used to watch you on like, They want' to have a conversation. Uh, you know I, I just can't do this right now." And then one of them goes, "Oh, I thought you'd be a lot nicer towards your fans like that." And the other one went, oh, it's, it's, he's just one of them. He's one of them. And then what happens is I go off and deal with an actual family emergency. One of them goes out for the evening with their brethren. And then someone goes, oh, have you seen this rap about tea? It's hilarious. It's genius. It's not. right." <laughs> <laughs> and then the one who met me briefly that day, he goes, uh, he's a bit of a prick, you know, mm. like he's moody's he's man moody. And then that person who showed them the video, the next time they go out and someone else goes, "Oh, have you seen this thing? Look at this. Then the person goes, you know what? I heard he's a prick.
5: I feel like you're putting mad pressure on yourself though because you can't like actually... You can't control
3: that. Mm. But that's what I'm saying. Like, that's how easy it happens. You know? And all you can do is be yourself in every moment. In that moment, I wasn't going to have a stop and chat and take a photo. I was fucking stressed. You know what I mean? So I, I'm just going to have to lose a couple of fans today. And that's just the way it is sometimes, you know? But like, I feel like throughout my career, and I will not change this for any love or money, I've always just been real. Like, I've always just been myself, warts and all. Do you know what I mean? Because I just think people will be less interested in you that way. If you get into this game... And you're like, oh, I've got to keep this private, keep that private, keep that private. And then you fuck up. Everybody's going to want to know mm. like, why did he fuck up? What happened? Like, it's so mysterious. Me, I'm just like, I'll tell you my fuck up. So I'll tell you now. Do you know what I mean? And then you have to find something even more fucked up. And I just go, bruv, that's not true. That's bullshit. Mm. Do, you, do you use it as a defense mechanism
0: as a celebrity? Or have you ever, because you've always been as, as an MC, like, and just as a person, Willingly quite self-deprecating yeah. anyway. And would you say that you've kind of um, <clears throat> ramped it up a bit more since, since your newfound yeah, celebrity think I have, status because in it, comparison?
3: To yeah, Ra- I think I have. I think I definitely have, you know, and I've not really thought about it that deeply, but the way you put it is is very er- eloquent and I think it's correct. Like, I remember when I saw 8 Mile for the first time and Eminem in his last battle disses himself hard, Mm. and then he's just has that drop the mic moment where yeah, he's just yeah. like alright let's see what you can say yeah, yeah. it's going to hurt my feelings I used to battle like that I'm not saying oh I was as good as Eminem I was quite shit but that was my thing because I was very self aware from an early age that I was an outsider to rap before I got into rap heavy mm. so even from my first battle I was a bit like "Oh," because I used to always wear glasses they were never as cool as yours oh, you know. But it was always <laughs> fucking NHS you know but um I would often like like hope that they'd say something about my glasses because I mean, okay, well I'm ready to go now because that's so obvious what (laughs) he was gonna say, you know. Um, And I would embarrass, I would take pleasure in embarrassing like road rappers in front of their boys. Do you know what I mean? Even though I had no backup myself. Yeah, but
0: you enter that arena, you've got to leave all that road shit behind. Yeah, and the the more more you react, the more embarrassing you'll be in front of your boys. Exactly, what I'm
3: saying. Um, so that was always my thing to sort of put myself down a little bit. And when I saw 8 Mile, I was like, that, "That's fucking, that, he's just crystallized mm. how I feel about myself. And then getting into comedy, which is where this question started, yeah. um, it was the perfect tool to just go, I'm not all that. And I've never been a fan of myself ever. So, you know, like comedy has really helped me solidify those, those thoughts and, and deal with who I feel like. I am as a person and what I feel I represent and, and also what I feel is important mm. which is essentially my friends my family my career is like a, it's, a, it's a distant third to mm. those two things do you know what I'm saying Absolutely. but the comedy yeah like it, long story short I, I was writing an album that was going to be like my farewell to rap I was just going to go yeah this is it for anyone who still gives a <laughs> shit I'm, I'm done you know and it was kind of like a little emotional thing um, and during that process, I got contacted by a dude that I knew who used to work at Radio 1 and he'd gone into writing comedy and he'd written a sitcom for Lenny Henry okay. that he felt a bit uncomfortable about because he was a white dude and it was an all-black cast. And there was these young characters in it who was using a lot of street slang that he just, didn't, he just wasn't au okay fait yeah. with. And he said, could you help me out with writing, like structuring these gags for the young mm-hmm. characters in the show? And that was my first job in comedy, and it all just led on from there.
2: Was the worst card you had? Sorry, the worst card you had as a comedian, and like, oh man, the first
3: year. Ask any comic about their first year in comedy; it's a nightmare. It <sighs> is a nightmare. Like everywhere you go, it's you de- you can't control anything. You haven't got the skill set to deal with it. I had the one advantage of I was already a performer of sorts and mm. mm. quite an aggressive <clears throat> performer because I come from rap. So I had that. People had faith in me when I first stepped up.
2: Yeah,
3: so I'd step up on stage with so ballsy whereas most comics oh, oh, the thing about me is I'm a completely dickhead. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Whereas I would just swagger on. <laughs> yeah. And I started on the black and the white circuit as well. I didn't just start on the white circuit. I started yeah. on both. And the black circuit you had to have some shit about you because they'd have musicians there. They'd have food there. Good food. <laughs> so the food, the food would be better than some of the acts. Do you know what I'm saying? So you had to be a bit more like, I'm about, yeah. I'm about this shit. So I had that. But then, as soon as the crowd settles down, black circuit or white circuit, you've got to be funny. Yeah. And if your shit is not funny and consistently funny, things can turn ugly. Especially if it's a Friday or a Saturday night. So yeah, my first year was littered. Littered with those moments. It's hard to think about what the absolute worst was. I'd say probably the absolute worst was in Stafford. I went to the University of Stafford. And um, it had already been a horrible gig. They, the way these gigs were structured, normally you'd have three comics doing 20 minutes each. This one had two comics doing half an hour each and a host. And so the host would come and open up, get the crowd settled, bring on the first comic, then come back in the middle and then the last comic. So I was the last comic. And when I came, the host came to me and he was like, is it cool if I bounce? Because like, I'm going to go. Like, So if you can just at the end just say, ah, oh, this happens every month. Dude, just do the compare thing at the end. Like, Come back next month. blah blah." And I was like, uh, where are you going? And he was just like, these guys, they're fucking pricks. <laughs> like, I'm gone. <laughs> I was like, right, that's a bad sign. So he left. I walked on stage for my bit after he introduced me. And... Uh, four of these little probably lads in the front row when I came on these four lads just literally they just got their chairs just nice. around and match. I just match. carried on their conversation amongst themselves and I was like oh this is going to be tough this is going to be tough <laughs> and then a couple minutes in I realised that they had some kind of like a drinking game going on where if I said a certain word they'd go up and buy a shot and all the you can imagine all the kerfuffle that would cause and do the shot, and it just—it was just—it was horrific from start to finish. The thing I always remember about it was that I i used to drive this little black VW Golf, and the car park to this university venue was right behind the stage, and behind the stage they had these glass windows. So I could see my fucking car <laughs> out of the corner of my eye. All I wanted to do was like, get in my car and just get the fuck out of there. But I had to do my time to get paid, you know. So Should have got some time. of the fucking was, hosts fee oh as well man, for It was, it was, it was horrible. And then Stafford, it's like a four-hour drive. You know, those were the days when you'd get paid like 50 quid for the gig. The petrol alone would be more than that.
0: What, you mean there's life beyond 50 pound gigs? <laughs>
3: <laughs> or if, if, you, if you had to get a hotel, you know, I used to be on lastminute.com or um, late, late Rooms, that was my one, Late Rooms, Late Rooms, and I'd get like the cheapest places I could get, you know, trying to like limit my overheads. But yeah, what that, would you that say first like, year was rough.
5: It's the most rough. you can tell the same joke. Because sometimes like, I'll say a joke and my friends don't laugh and I'll be like, okay, I'm definitely saying that again tomorrow. <laughs>
3: like... I think it's, if it's a really, truly great joke, you can say it forever. Because mm. like, there's, there's one or two things I wrote or came up with, because most of the best shit I came up with, I came up with on stage, just as a sort of improvisation within a, a bit about something else. And there's a couple bits that I think are probably from my first or second year. I will still say I don't give a fuck You've I will say because like, they're classic
5: even if like the jokes are running out there's everyone sitting on the front row like do you like to do that a lot like
3: if people get would, up and go like, toilet oh, yeah, what's you your bored? story <laughs> no, no, I don't really get into that I, mm. partly I think it's a little bit corny but I will do it if someone's being a prick if someone's being a prick then I think that's, that must be so irritating for the people around yeah. him who've paid to see a show mm-hmm. it must be so annoying so I, I will get into it with him because I think I can't lose. Mm. Even if I'm not that funny, if I just call him a Belen, people are going to be like, yeah, he's a fucking bellend. I was going to say that. You know what I mean? So um, I'll, get, I'll get into it with those guys. But I'm not really that guy like, hey, where do you work? Cool, oh, that's a shit job. Oh. Do you know what I mean? I'm not really that guy. Yeah. Yeah. What's, um, what affects you more, a
0: stoic crowd, like you know, a tough crowd, or, um, or, or a heckler with it within
3: a kind of moderately lively crowd? Definitely a stoic crowd. Yeah. I think silence is really painful. If, if, uh, if someone heckles, I, I, I'm, always, I'm always willing to hear that because 90% of the time, they don't realise how scary it is to speak in yeah. silence. Mm-hmm. So if it's sort of quite laughy, quite jovial, or there's a bit of noise in the crowd, and someone goes, oh, go, if I go, wait, 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 what? When it silences down, everyone wants to hear what 90% of the time they're, they're too scared to say it again yeah, whatever yeah. they said then you just fucking rip them you just rinse them yeah, yeah. so they can't even come back because they actually realise a lot of people if you took a poll there's a lot of people who would tell you that public speaking is scarier than like actual death <laughs> do you know what I <laughs> mean like yeah. being hit by a train like they'd, yeah. they'd rather they'd rather die than get up and say something in front of a crowd of mm. strangers Whereas as long as I can remember, I always, always wanted to just get up in front of people and make a fool of myself. Fair play. At Christmas, like with my family and that, I just wanted to do a little play or (laughs) just goof around. Did you still
5: laugh at like the jokes and the crackers?
3: Mm, No, I'd always thought they were a bit substandard. I think even when I was young.
5: (laughs) (laughs) I want to take this to um, the BAFTAs. Talk to us about the BAFTAs last year in L.A.
3: Well, I think what happened was there was someone a lot more famous who pulled out and then BAFTA (laughs) called me because I've worked for BAFTA a few times. I've hosted events for them over here and they always hire me like nine months in advance. This one was like three weeks before the event or something like that, maybe a month before I got the call. They're like, you're going to host the BAFTAs in LA. And this is like the guest list. Samuel L. Jackson, Jake Gyllenhaal, Jodie Foster, you know. I mean, A-list,
4: mm.
3: you know. No fucking Adam Sandler, nothing. <laughs> like, was A-list across the board, right? Amazing. I'm like, why the hell? Why me? Obviously, I didn't say this. I was just like, yeah, of course, I'll do it. Uh, you know. Um, and it was...
5: Is that your phone case?
3: It was a unique experience. Yeah, that's a nice my phone case. case. Was, you know, Hype gave me that case. You know, everything they do is loud, man. What are you going to do?
0: Mm.
3: It's like a uh, ghetto um, version of This Is Your Life, isn't it? Yeah, big time.
0: <laughs> I, I, it really is like that.
3: This, I was, um, We're
0: going to call it This Is You Fam. This is you fam. <laughs> this is you
3: fam. <laughs> this is you fam. <laughs> so this, this is a beautiful moment because, you know, we were in the Beverly Hilton... In, in Hollywood and I've been rehearsing all day like my opening monologue I've been arguing with the organisers about the jokes I was going to do they are very nervous about certain things that I was saying about certain actors um, and I was like it's all fine like I'm not roast not really roasting these guys it's all very delicate you know real like easy stuff but they were nervous about every gag so that made me nervous about what I was going to say you know um, and I had this one bit, for example, about um, Sam Jackson. Because over there, like, his first big job in the States was um, he did adverts for Capital One credit cards. That was his first big job before he started doing all the amazing stuff he's done now. So, you know, I was introducing each famous person in the house and then doing a little light ribbon of them. And what I was going to say about Sam was like, um, oh, Sam Jackson's in the house. He's just, woo, amazing. You know, Um a lot of people got their favorite Sam Jackson film, be it like Pulp Fiction, Django, you know. Me, I'm, I'm, I'm more cultish. I like his early work with Capital One credit cards, right? <laughs> and I'd done my research, right? So there was a phrase, a slogan that he'd say in the, in the code where he'd hold up the credit card and he'd go, Capital One, what's in your wallet? Like that, you know. And I was like, no, I really do, because... And I'm delivering this to Samuel L. Jackson's face. That's how I planned it, you know? I mm. was I really do, because, like, I feel like it's, it brought America closer together. Because before that advert, if a black dude stopped a white dude on the street and said, what's in your wallet? <laughs> 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 you know what I mean? I a light ribbon. And they yeah, were like, yeah. you can't do, like, racial, you know, blah, blah, blah. What? So I was like, what? So I was mad nervous, yeah. is the short... End to the story. And I was backstage in the green room on my J's, just pacing back and forth, pacing back and forth. This is like 15 minutes before the show, 10 minutes before the show, five minutes. Normal show, I'd be like this, just chatting, have a beer. I'm cool, I know what I'm doing. But this one, I was just like, oh, I couldn't relax. Stage manager gives me a five-minute call. Fuck. And I'm, I'm actually screwing about, right now, at this point, I'm screwing about my opening gag. Because I was going to come out and do a rap where I say, "Ah, you never seen a British guy rapping in a tux before and just do all these little gags within a rap and then end it and then say, yeah, that's right. Even the British ones can rap. (laughs) That was going to be my opener. But they were weird about that as well. So I was like, shall I say it? Shall I not? Shall I say it? Shall I not? And whilst I'm freaking out, three, four minutes to go, Tom Hanks walks into the green room with his makeup person and then sit in the chair well, actually, he doesn't sit in a chair. He's, I'm the only one in there. So he makes a beeline for me. And he's like, hey, how you doing? I'm Tom. I'm like, I know who the fuck you are. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, are you working here? And I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm hosting. And he goes, you look so nervous. I like, do. I'm shitting myself. And he goes, why? You've you not done this before? And I'm like, no, no, I, I, this is kind of what I, I'm kind of a host. Compare like where I come from. And he goes, then you're going to ace it, man. What are you talking about? You're going to be great. You know, and then he sits down, starts getting his hair and makeup done, and he just chats to me for the rest of the time. He's like, "So where are you from?" He goes back to me. He's just asking me shit about myself. He's brought up, safe. Was you nice. nervous?
5: Like, I'm from London.
3: No, like at that, point, he put me at ease. Like it was weird. He put me at ease. And then the stage manager was like, "All right, you're up." After that, he was like, "Yeah, yeah." So I got up and I was like, Phew. and I walked past. I had to go past his chair to get out onto the stage. And as I went past, he just grabbed my arm like that, and he goes. You got anything for me? And I was like, Ah, oh, you know what? I actually, you're the one person I didn't like try and roast because I, like, fruff, I, fruff, I love you. like I love you.
4: <laughs>
3: and he goes, Ah, oh, come on! You got some shit for me. I know you got some shit for me. <laughs> and then if you watch, if you watch the the tape, there's a moment where I introduce him, and he comes on, and he stops me as I'm going off, and he comes on to introduce this award. He stops me and he says in my ear. killing it I knew you were going to kill it
0: amazing yeah I mean amazing he was fucking he was such a good guy (laughs) if there is one person you were two people if I was as nervous as that in the room by myself there are two people that I would want to walk in to calm me down Tom Hanks (laughs) and Morgan Freeman yeah (laughs) Michael Payne
3: (laughs) (laughs) at that moment Michael
2: was doing <laughs> a job way above his <laughs> usual standards <laughs> yeah, did anyone recognise right. you out there that you didn't know no did
3: it was a, be- a beautiful life for the two weeks I spent in LA I'd never been before i have never been since but it was beautiful just walking around no one knew how it was I could go to a swimming pool three times a day if I wanted to <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? and also I think out there even if I was Famous. Like, they don't give as much of a shit. Like, I yeah. think they see famous people all the time, you know, so um, I really, yeah, I enjoyed the time out there and the kids Did you get it. a really
5: expensive suit?
3: Yeah. Oh, is it just Talk like to a, us about a Mat-Land That suit thing. was tailored for that me Black by Black Burberry. Black. It's, it's worth three True. and a half thousand dollars. Did you, did you have to get a, it's did my, you load it? It's one of my, my most prized you, possessions. You, oh, you bought that, yeah? I, I was Go having such a, a, on a on tough time getting ready for like the show and stuff but when I went and got fitted for that on Rodeo Drive, at the Burberry there, and bear in mind Sam Jackson had been in there before me and got his shit shit fitted. You pay the cap like, I was once. just like, you know what? I, you know how it is over here when people gift you stuff here and there, and you're like, is this a? Can I walk out
1: with this? Is it going to be a conversation? <laughs> yeah, yeah.
3: Do I have to pay half the money? <laughs> like with that suit, I was just like, you know what? I'm getting on the plane in this suit. You're gonna have to fucking tear it off me because i would never had a suit tailored for me, mm. like built. And I was just like this is worth nothing to anybody apart from some doppelganger who's got exactly the same build as me mm. no one's got these fires these fires are huge right <laughs> so I know that like my, my body shape is particular so um, yeah that suit was and is this was one of my prized possessions and it will always remind me of that night mm. did, you, did, you, uh, did you ever delete that selfie or do you still have it it's still on my phone fam Still cool, cool. bro. Wallpaper. wallpaper wallpaper yeah bro all day long I keep, I keep that fuck all the kids can wait <laughs> Yeah,
5: right you there. know that
3: suit? Is it in your normal wardrobe? So my normal wardrobe, yeah. So, like,
5: you open it some days, like, I remember
3: that day. Big time, yeah. Big time. The lapels are sick, sort of, like, slightly mm. slightly velvetyer than the rest of the... Do you get your daughter, do you, you get she goes, Smell it? Smell that. Still smells, <laughs> still smells that. like the
2: Baptist. That smells like success. <laughs> <laughs> um, how did you get acquainted with Ricky Gervais? YouTube. Yes. You really.
3: saw my shit on YouTube. And... Um, There was a dude he was working with, um, a a promoter, a live comedy promoter Mm -hmm. that I knew from just being on, um, doing comedy on the circuit. So the dude was like, I think it was maybe him who got him to watch the clips. Uh, And he was like, dude, I know this guy. Like, you should get him to open for you. And that's how it was. He just Mm called. This this middle dude gave him my number. Swear. And Ricky Gervais phoned my phone. I was sat in my garden, my phone rang, and it was him. You think it's a prank and hang yeah, up? Yeah, immediately. <laughs> immediately, I was like, "Brother, I ain't got time for this shit. I'm a busy, man." <laughs> you know. But yeah, it was it was really him, and um, he was doing some gigs out in Scandinavia, and he asked me to come open for him, and that's how that started. That was twenty
2: twelve. It's been a while now. Mm, wow. Yeah. You also met Dave Chappelle as well, didn't you? I did. I spent four hours with Dave Chappelle.
0: Please tell the do- Dave Chappelle. Me, Chappell me and my younger those. brother. Really?
3: Me my younger brother Luke. And uh, my barber Freeman, man like Freeman, <laughs> man like Garnier <Ghanaian> Freeman from <laughs> Uh We we spent three four hours with Dave Chappelle before his his, his comeback show in London a couple of years ago, um, and it was out of the blue. Like my promoters, we share the same promoters, me and Dave, and uh, they called me like panicky. I was in my studio in Chingford Ooh. they called me like how quickly can you get to Hammersmith Apollo I was like why what's happening they were like Chappelle's doing a surprise show I was like I'm opening for Chappelle <laughs> I was like bruv I can get there man when do you need me there They're like, like just ASAP this is like 3 in the afternoon yeah. just ASAP ASAP I was like bruv I'm there man I'm there like how, how long a set how long a set do you need they're like no you're not opening I was like so what do you need me there for and they were like Chappelle wants to get like a fresh trim before he goes. He wants the baldy oh. cut before he goes on stage. Yeah. I was like, um, what the fuck are you calling me for? <laughs> they're like, well, we don't know any like black barbers. and <laughs> Before maybe, maybe you might know someone. All right, <laughs> There's a bit of a come down. But then at the same time, I was like, can I get tickets to the show? And they're like, yeah, yeah, of course, of course. I was like, all right, give me half an hour. I'll have a little phone round. Mm-hmm. So I phoned a few people. I think I even might have phoned Tony D. You know Tony D, yeah. he's, he's, he's a sick barber. Oh, fair bro. play. Yeah, yeah, you can cut it. Um But um, yeah, Freeman was the most accessible, but he's got a shop in Dawston. So I went down there, left the studio, drove straight to Dawston, went into Freeman's shop. Now bear in mind, Freeman's like in his 50s, God-fearing Ghanaian dude, um, beautiful man. Um, and I went in there, I was like, Freeman, I'm going to ask you, to do something for me. Um, it's going to involve you closing the shop but I guarantee you I can make you two, three times as much money as you'd make if you kept the shop open from now until 11. You know what I mean? In Which one, is what time that to stay open until to be fair? 11pm. Yeah. <laughs> in one haircut. and He was like, what? And I was like, okay, you're going to come in my car, you're going to jump in my car, we're going to drive to Hammersmith and you're going to cut Hollywood superstar Dave Chappelle's hair for his show tonight. And Freeman
1: like,
3: oh my gosh, praise God, praise Jesus. <laughs> praise Jesus, I can't believe it. He goes, I can't believe it. Oh my gosh, David Chappell. David Chappell. Oh. Oh. Close the shop, close the shop, everybody. Every- close the shop, close the shop. Oh, David, oh. he goes, God bless you, doc. God bless you, God bless you. I was like, Freeman, you don't know who Dave Chappell is, do you? He goes, no, no, God bless, God bless you, no, no. <laughs> so I get him in the car and on the way I'm explaining who the fuck Dave Chappelle is do you know what I mean I'm Mm -hmm. showing him like YouTube clips and whatnot. and he's hyped and we get there and I'm like you know Freeman you gotta be cool like I don't know this dude like I'm I'm the link to the dudes but I don't know him (laughs) so be cool like don't be like getting the camera out and whatnot until I've worked out everything's Mm. kosher do you know what I mean let's chat to him let's do the haircut and we'll talk Freeman's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we go in there. My brother, obviously I had to bring my brother because he's like a bigger Chappelle fan mm-hmm. than me. So he came and met us there as well. And uh, we go in and um, Freeman gets his kit out. Chappelle's mad cool. Just wants to talk about boxing most of the time. Yeah. And we talked about boxing and comedy. And he sat there um, getting, his, getting his trim. And then Freeman's like, he's like, this?"
4: <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, no,
3: Freeman, oh, it's, not, it's not the right time. <laughs> so I was like, Dave, um, is it cool? Like, Freeman, he's like, so obviously he's my local barber. He's got like a, you know, very up-and-coming black business, local black-owned business. You know, you would you be supportive if like he could get a little... Photo or, uh, and Freeman's like, video, video.
4: <laughs> <laughs> well,
3: he knows the capability yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And Chaffell, to his credit, he's like, yeah, of course, man. Minor. Yeah, yeah. He's like, get me up on that fucking wall. Get me up on that wall. <laughs> 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 so like, I get Freeman's phone and I'm videoing, and Freeman's just like this. Hey, he's like, this will be shit on the podcast. so he's just like, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the camera. <laughs> um, so, I took a video, and then we did a photo afterwards. And uh, we stay, obviously, stayed and watched the show. He was so cool; like, he had weed, he had beer. he was like, hey, "Help yourself." And he sat. My brother's such a huge fan. He sat with my brother and just chatted to him. Do you know what I mean, he had his wife and kids there. It was just a lovely vibe. And we watched the show. The show was great. And afterwards, like, I, I dropped Freeman home, and on the way, I was like. Um, I'm going to chat to the promoters and just find out when it's cool because I know it's a surprise gig to, to post mm. You know what you've got and you know we'll, we'll work all that out. Just For now, just hold, hold back, be cool. And he's like, yeah, yeah, cool. He's like, thank you so much for bringing me in. I'm like, bless. I'll chat to you tomorrow. As soon as I get in now, <laughs> I get a WhatsApp notification. Yeah? And it's the picture and the video and it just says... As you can see, yes, this is me, Freeman Boateng, cut, cutting the famous David Chapel hair. <laughs> you will see, you will all see, eventually, you will all see, I am the best. <laughs> and he sent it to everyone on his phone, to everyone. Everyone. But he's a G, he's a G. And he does, he does deliver the best trim in Dalston. If you're listening and you're close, mm. uh, Freeman does deliver Hell, Freeman. the best trim. Mm-hmm. in Hackney easy <clears throat> easy how long well, have you got left? on that about? bombshell yeah
0: that is literally <laughs> <Without our time. laughs> no well that's all we got time for by oh, way of, okay. the, of our discussion but we are going to open up the floor and I've got tears in my eyes literally <laughs> and we're going to open up the discussion to the floor for, I think we'll, if we maybe act nicely or just don't fucking move when they no. ask us to oh, then ready. maybe we can get an extra five minutes maybe can we a question and answer I'm talking too much let's just get <laughs> some questions <laughs> in, anybody in?
2: got a question
0: Anyone, want a question? Anyone got a question
3: for Doc Brown? I'll try and be as brief as possible. I know I talk too much.
2: <laughs> Hello. Hello. Um, I see you most on my television when my little brother's watching that four o'clock club mm. and there's old episodes running. Mm-hmm. And back in the day, watching Tracy Beek and all that stuff that used to be on CBC when I was younger, mm. I've always wondered what how a CBBC show is actually run. So, obviously you must have been... No offense, a lot older than some of the cast I was on there. Yeah. there was only two or three adults in the show, right? A few teachers. That's
3: right.
2: Yeah. How were you? Like, obviously, did you have to act different around the kids? Did you tone down the banter? Were you like it a role was, model? I've always been it, interested. in
3: it, it was a combination of all of those things, you know, and and also me being me because you know I never really changed myself. Um, but um, that show was my start in in this this sort of world of show business that I've gone into really and truly I had an idea for a kids show um, about two brothers where one was the old one was like a kid and the kid was like an adult smart as an adult and the, the adult was as, as dumb as like a little kid and that was just the dynamic I thought it was funny and it was originally set in a youth club but when I took it to the BBC they said if you could set it in a school it's funny you say Tracy Beaker because Tracy Beaker was coming to an end and they wanted something to replace it So we actually replaced Tracy Beaker directly. I love Tracy Beaker. And, uh, you know, I wasn't planning to be in it. You know, I'd never really acted before um, professionally. Um, I just wanted to write it. And I I knew I wanted it to be a hip-hop musical and I wanted it to have black characters at the forefront. And it was just all positive and it was all rap-related and it was all just fun and positive. I just thought that would be an interesting... Thing to have out there for kids to experience rap for the first time, and it was just all fun. Do you yeah. know what I mean? That, my little brother's Pateen. I mean, they
2: don't know
3: anyone to watch Patoon, right? Oh yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that that was that was my only plan. Um, but then they were like, "You got to be in it. You got to be in it because as you know, you're the best person to deliver some of these songs and whatnot." So they kind of talked me into it, and then I I was part of the auditioning process as well and casting the um, my younger brother. And this kid was just. Phenomenal. He was so smart. He could speak Greek and Chinese. Black kid from flipping sail outside of Manchester, you know. Uh, he could do voices. He could just do it all. And um, we created such a close bond that I immediately was unprofessional. Like I immediately just sort of didn't see his age. I just he was just like my brethren, you know what I mean? So I was always being inappropriate on set around the kids and people have to say, oh, yeah, Doc, you really shouldn't, shouldn't <laughs> swear, like, around the kids and whatnot. You shouldn't reference this kind of this, that, and the third. Um, but I've always found with kids, kids are smart and then you think they are, man. And, like, they're, they're, I'm not saying you have to show them inappropriate stuff, but I, I do think you shouldn't patronize them. So mm. we always, we had a laugh and everybody on that show, it's mad because I've done 100 a, a shoots since then. And still, I know people. I've been to the weddings of people from that shoot. I'm still close to everybody. I don't mean the actors. I mean everybody, like the whole crew, the caterers, everybody. I still know everybody from that shoot because it was, it was a very emotional shoot. And it's mad that I'm still so connected with it because I haven't actually been in it since that first series. It's now into its eighth season. There's hardly any TV shows at all, childrens or adults, that run for that long. Two BAFTAs, two RTS awards. It's incredible what that show's done. I don't, I don't even have anything to do with it anymore other than that I own it. I own a part of it. Um, I don't even write the songs on it anymore. In fact, the songs are written by my younger brother, Luke. Which wow. Which is nice that um, we've still managed to retain a sort of family influence on the show. That's um, the coolest sort of breakdown of nepotism I've ever heard. <laughs> yeah, and they, the, the nepotism side of it, the BBC were weird about. Oh, They wouldn't really let real? it happen, so... Luke had to audition and I was like you know what I'm cool with that and mm. so is he because we've all we come from that school Luke, Luke, Luke could rap the mystery of chess boxing from uh, Enter the 36 Chambers mm. when he was 10 years old Fair. every rapper's verse yeah yeah I'm like you know what bring your other auditionees because <laughs> <laughs> Luke will kill them and that's exactly what happened yeah, so he yeah. got he actually got the job legit Amazing. yeah um, thank you so I hope that answers your question yeah. next
0: question so after the BAFTAs, I'm guessing there was a selection of after parties. Yes. Did you go to any of them? <laughs> yes. Did you get lit? Yes. Yeah.
3: <laughs> I mean, if anybody knows me on a personal level, they know that I'm not. Uh, I'm not really a dude who does things by halves. Like I, I, I work very, very hard, but I'm also, you know, I, I play pretty hard. Like I, don't, I don't really limit myself. I. And it's it's sad that if my career keeps going the way I want it to, I'm going to have to stop that. Because, you know, like, when you get fucked up around strangers, you know, people take advantage and whatnot. I have to be careful. But I tend to do it amongst my people and I have a crowd of people with me. I always keep people close to me who will go, Ben, 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 don't touch her there. You know? <laughs> <laughs> or don't, don't, don't say that to him and you've probably had enough of those I have those I have, I have those friends I have those friends and they're fucking good to me and uh, you know they 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 know the type of person I am and they know like when I've gone too far so did you see
2: anyone
3: else doing anything wild that you
2: can talk out
3: about? there yeah I wouldn't really want to talk about it on, on, on that. I bumped into Zayn Malik that night but yeah I don't really want to I can't really air people out I mean I'm going to leave it there, yeah. I passed the a Malika
0: Spliff once, if anyone wants to know. Oh, there you go. i tell you that. that I can say that funny. now because he's like a solo R&B singer and he's mad cool now, isn't it? So <laughs> when he was in One Direction, I actually but I genuinely passed him Spliff and
3: I, I literally thought I'd ruined his career when I found <laughs> yeah. out. One thing was. I will say is that dude stepped out of a car and it was just like, time just stopped. You know, there's, <laughs> like, a, there's like a level of fame and yeah, cool that yeah. someone can achieve where it's just like, oh, like I'm in your world now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was literally in a car park with my wife and everything was normal I was with my wife and my manager I and mean, it was just normal we got out the Uber my manager was like yeah this bar's really cool I was like okay cool we'll go up there and then this fucking jeep just pulled up and the door just opened it was like doves just flew out you know what I mean <laughs> some jump street shit <laughs> he was just so fucking he was slick, was slick. he's cool that stops, guy you know what I mean ridiculous. yeah incredible ridiculous. but we'll leave it there <laughs>
2: Yeah, I've got. Am I holding this right? Like, penis. <laughs> <laughs> so obviously you've been doing comedy TV rap, but recently you just did a um, a tour which was solely just rap. Mm. Is there any chance that you'll be doing anything with Poisonous Poets again, maybe in the future? Or... Good question. Peace. Yeah, most
3: most definitely, man. <laughs> I mean, the, the, those are my brothers. They're the guys that really made me up my game lyrically. You know, initially it was me and the, and the rapper Reveal. We were the we were the original <coughs> members, but Reveal had a friend that he used to hang around with all the time um, called Therapist, and he he was the one who introduced me anyway to, to to grime music before it was even called grime, and showed me how to spit in that fashion, like at double the speed, like how to spit to sort of two-step, do you know what I mean? Garage type beats, um, and I'd never heard that before or even tried to do it before, so. Them two, and Reveal raised my my lyricism and wordplay. And then when we met Tony, not long afterwards, Tony's, the, the wit and the ability, I'd just not seen anything like it in front of my face. So for me, it was like, these are the best rappers I've ever heard. And they're all, like, in my crew. Like, I'm good. Do you know what I mean? So, uh, and then obviously, Loki later on, you know, and everybody knows, knows his story. Um, So, I would never, ever, ever turn my back on those guys. And if there was a way of getting them all together and doing something, which I've tried to do more than once, then I would do it. Um, It's just a case of everybody being up for it. You know, I'm up for it. And I know Reveal, Tony, 100% are up for it as well. Tony remembering his bars as well.
0: Tony remembering his bars
3: is going to be another classic, classic, (laughs)
0: classic um, example, classic uh, experience. During the tour was Tony mm. forgetting his lyrics to a song called Amnesia. Yeah, that was quite. It's <laughs> <laughs>
3: quite a beautiful moment. Brilliant. <laughs> yeah. Oh, we got one now. Hello. Um, hey.
0: So Michael's mentioned a few times tonight that you've been on tour recently. Can you and, drop that uh... in there.
3: <laughs> 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 um. What's on your tour rider? Is anything mad? Tell him about tour Tell him about the tour That's such a great question because I'm such a fucking, like, I'm, I'm such a nerd and I never, like, think this shit through properly that when, when, when it first became an opportunity to do the tour and it was put in front of me as an option, I was, like, super excited. But I thought about it like a stand-up because when I do my stand-up tours, like, dude, I make a, I'll make a decent chunk of change. Largely because there's no overheads. All I need is a mic. I could bring that myself. You don't even need a mic. I could bring my own mic. Do you know what I mean? And just plug it into the system. Drive myself to the gig. Do you know what I'm saying? Do the gig. 500, 1,000 people. I I sold out gigs uh, across my last three comedy tours. And then drive home. And keep every penny of the money. So, like, when when this tour came out, I was like, okay, boom. Like, I will going do exactly the same thing. I don't need shit except a microphone. And my manager was like, okay, yeah, but like, who's going to play the music? I was like, okay, well, obviously me and a DJ and a microphone. <laughs> and he's like, what about all the songs that have got singers on them? I was like, okay, me and a DJ and a singer and a microphone. <laughs> yeah, and what about your support act? Okay, and a support act, fine. And you know the songs that, really, there's no samples, you need musicians. Okay, the, when I do those songs, there'll be some musicians, all right? And yeah, who's going to run the merch store? Okay, and a merch guy. And a tour manager. i tour manager. Okay, fine. Who's going to drive the tour bus? Fuck, yeah, I need a bus. <laughs> <laughs> so before I knew it, I had eight guys. I had eight guys, you know. And I was like, fuck, every one of these guys needs to get paid. Every one of these guys needs a place to stay. But what none of these guys knew was that the rider was possibly the first thing I agreed. Like nine months before the tour was even a thing. <laughs> So like, what do you need? And I was like, I don't know, some fucking red stripes,
1: you know.
3: And like, what, do you <laughs> want in, what about food, and I was like, you know, just some, I don't know, some fucking like some meat, you know, just some meat, like <laughs> literally cold cuts, cut, some shit like that. I don't care because when I do a standout gig, I do the gig and I go home. I might have one beer out of the fridge and then I go home. <laughs> you know, I hadn't thought it through. So next thing I know, I have got eight guys, tour bus, hotels in every town, and you know. We want to have fun night. Like, we want to chill out at the venue. You want to meet the crowd or whatever. You want to go and party at the hotel. You know, four red stripes and a packet of ham. Not, that's not going to cut it. But believe it or not, that was the rider. That was the rider. So every night I would just put my hand in my pocket and just try and get more, more beers, get some rum, some gin, some mixers, Or I would ask the venue if they could sort it out. But yeah, that's how unprofessional I was about the whole thing.
0: It was an, it was an incredible comparison that, that the rider to, <clears throat> I remember going to your video shoot for Corruptible, which is the current single from...
3: Yeah, well, I got that catered.
0: That was ridiculous. So I, I go into this, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a sort of um, studio, film studio on, on this residential street. Nothing else apart from houses in this huge building but there's a catering truck outside. So I'm thinking, oh, that's for someone else who's filming in the same studio. <laughs> I later find out that there's no one else filming in the same studio. So we actually have full use of this catering truck. Like it's just one guy and he's, and he's just made all this food. And, and I, I, I remember um, he had uh, all the food and then GF next to it. And obviously I now know that was gluten-free, but I thought you <laughs> got a free girlfriend. with <laughs> no, options.
3: options. But that in
0: comparison to... The, the, the rider was amazing, but we still made do, which was brilliant We as made well, do. Like. I, was
3: good, I had a lot of good 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 boys with me, so it was all good. But I'll tell you, my DJ, the last sceptic, he genuinely ate every piece of of meat that <laughs> yeah. was on the rider every yeah. night. And Some compared, of them are genuinely still in this Compared fridge, meat to meat, yeah. He compared meat to meat every night. He was, mm. he was the meat king. Mm, absolutely.
1: He, you know, and we still had a laugh.
4: Final question. Oh, right.
1: Final question. Okay. Oh, I said, big man posty as well. No, sir. Um... When I was 18, I, I thought I was a good rapper. Like I was kind of like <laughs> the best out of my friends. So they made me feel like I was Kano or something. Yeah. yeah and yeah, then one day happened. I went to Deal Real. I remember you used to host it there sometimes, didn't you? Yes. And um, there was a guy called Mike Assassin over there. Ah, That's and my he, brother, yeah. My yeah. Year, like, I think he was like a world champion over at Dill So anyway, my friends gassed me into having a little battle. <laughs> how did it work out? <laughs> he, was, he was there. But anyway, at the time he was the referee and... Um, oh, for real? Okay. Yeah, and I could tell you had a relationship with Mike because um, every time he said something about me, you laughed a little bit harder.
3: Yeah, uh, <laughs> I'm sorry about that. It was
1: literally the worst day of my life. But um, <laughs> Love what you've done so far. um, I just wanted to know if you had lost any battles at Dill before.
3: Well, you know, it's funny you should say that because we saw a little clip of of Rhymefest there who's famous for writing rhymes for um, a famous ghostwriter for all sorts of huge artists Mm. but also featured heavily on Kanye's first album done stuff with Consequence and Talib Kweli. And he used to come down with Mark Ronson quite a lot. That's how I made a relationship with Mark and ended up being in Mark's band taking uh, Rheinfest's place on, on the European gigs um, but one night I was freestyling and you know I always had the crowd even palm in my hand you know because I would just talk about everything that was happening there but what I didn't know about Rhymefest was that freestyling was his thing you know and I think it's, I still to this day I would say it's a bit of a bitch move to just like suddenly turn on me but that's what he did <laughs> He just suddenly started gunning me right there in the shot. Now, at this point in time, I was out of commission as a battle rapper. I, the last time I'd battled, I mean, this was like 03, 04 or something like that. And I hadn't battled for, for years at that point. I used to battle in these old battles called Mudlums. which used to be run by the Mud family in Camden and they were vicious, you know. Um, I hadn't battled for years and he just started gunning me. I was like, oh, fuck, it's on. And I'm like, flabby. Do you know what I mean? I haven't been to the gym. And um, so he's just... I mean, in lyrical terms, you know, I, I just I hadn't... you got to exercise this, this skill. I've just been freestyling. I haven't really been in that battle state of mind. So he just starts destroying me. And as Vincent's brother used to film every night on his little Sony Handycam, you know, Ollie would just be there, like, with the camera. And we, got, we caught some legendary moments. And... Um, all I remember from that battle is like every time he spat, he just destroyed me a bit more. And then I remember the last thing he said was something about, yeah, they should have told you about Ryan Fest, You can't handle a dude like this. So I just murked you and they caught it all on camera like that and just pointed at the camera like, oh! And I was like, yeah, my own house, bro. <laughs> <laughs> my own house. How spread. could you? <laughs> but you know what? The you know what's beautiful about it is that I went home and I was like, I'm fucking battling again. I'm battling again. Straight away, I was like, who, "What's the bat- what's, who, where were the battles? Where's the battles? And these dudes told me, like, jump off. You're serious, go jump off. And that was the one. That was the biggest one at the time. So I went to jump off and it used to be, if you can believe this, on Poland Street in Soho, there was a Yo Sushi. And it was underneath the Yo Sushi. <laughs> just in this room underneath the restaurant. That's where they had the battle. And I went in there, I was so amped up just went in there, put my name down, and I was like, fucking bring it, bring it, come, let's go, let's go, let's go. And I just battered everyone. And I just became, I became unbeatable at Jump Off for a minute there, man. They moved from there to the Swiss Centre, which is where the the Eminem, what is it? The Eminem Museum. What the fuck is that place? Like oh, what M&M on Leicester place. Square? Yeah, what is that? Place? Oh, yeah. like Eminem World. Eminem World. It's great to fuck like is that? Not gonna lie, it's good. No. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it moved there, and I still was I, was I was killing dudes, man. It wasn't until Professor Green come up that I was just like, I couldn't compete anymore. But yeah, Rhymefest, I really, I take take my hat off to him because he he brought me back into that zone. Even if it was for a sucker punch, though. Oh, it was a sucker punch, definitely.
2: Did you have it's a word true. with him afterwards? Like, yo fam, don't be running man. Yeah. Mark, afterwards, Mark Ronson offered me a job. I was like... <laughs> yeah, of course I I'll take the one that
3: pays. Yeah, man. <laughs> Leave it unsaid. Oh, I oh, think so that's thanks. unfortunate. Oh,
0: oh, wait, we got one? Yeah, I got one. Such a Real fetching quick. leather jacket, we'll have to let you. <laughs> what
1: was your fondest memory of
3: Duro? My fondest memory? Yeah. <laughs> I don't think it's one thing. I think it was cumulative. You know, like the friends that I made there were friends for life. The, there were so many moments, you know, I could picture cannabis jumping up on the counter and rapping the whole of second round knockout, you know, Pete Rock and CL Smooth, wow. Mo's Death coming down yeah. and saying to me, bruv, like, where I'm from, like, this kind of hip hop is dead. Like, I'm coming every week. You know, he was working in London, he was in a play. They just used to come every week and he brought Kanye down mm-hmm. Kanye took us to, to a private party with like Young Guns you remember them guys on Rockefeller yeah. like there, every week something legendary happened you know and it's not one thing it was just like it's was, it was cumulative it was, it, was, it was a movement that wasn't a movement do you know what I'm saying it was art for art's sake nobody thought about it that deep it was just like this is, a, this is some fun shit to do and we're just all kids just doing it mm. It was just, it was so perfect. I've never experienced anything like that. Even, like I say, the bastards, whatever, never experienced, even though I make a living off of my ideas and creativity, I've never experienced creativity that pure. And that's why it's, it's not one moment, it's the whole thing. It's everything to me. Oh, okay. yeah.
0: I think that is the uh, most appropriate place fun, to end man. this. This has been the very first ever episode Whoa. of TBC Jeez. Podcast live. So thank you all here. Uh, thank you all here for being part of that. Another first was I think that's the first time anyone's ever used the word stoic on GRM Daily. So <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you that one. Um, thank you. Please please uh, give a very very warm uh, round of applause to Doc Brown, Ren. Rebecca Judd, I've been Michael Payne, thank you so much for coming out.